Let's turn to God's word before we have prayer. We want to read from Acts chapter 13 this morning. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We'll read from verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simon that was called Nagir, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manain, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes in him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell in him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company lived from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. We'll end the reading there at verse 13, and we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's just have a little prayer together. Heavenly Father, we ask thee to accept of our thanks for the gifts and tithes and offerings for the work of God. We thank thee for the money that has come in from the building fund. We thank you, Lord, for the offering already for Robert McConnell and her sister Joy Gillespie. We thank you, Lord, for this offering for the Reformation Appeal. And, O oh God, we thank thee for the general giving to the general fund of the uh, accounts of the church. And, Lord, we just pray that you'll remember us as thy people. We're conscious that we give as unto the Lord. And we thank thee for blessing us, not only with health and strength, but providing for us in a material and a financial sense. And we rejoice that thou hast provided all that we have needed to sustain our lives physically on the earth. And Lord, we ask today that you remember the work of God here. Bless the boys and girls. Even these lessons about the pencil, apply them to their heart and their mind. 
We look to thee, Father, that thou will answer prayer. Remember our family circles, the need for household salvation. Save our precious loved ones. May the hound of the Holy Spirit be upon them. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll save the lost in our community. Bring in souls, Lord, that you can preach the gospel to them and tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. We pray, Lord, for additional new families for the work of God. And we leave that in thy mind and according to thy will and good pleasure. We ask today, Lord, that you'll undertake for the building program and thou dost know how much we need. Thou dost know our desire to have the church building finished and opened this year. And we commit that to thee and ask again for the outworking of all thy will. We pray, Lord, you'll be pleased to favour us and you'll help us to go forward together as a team in thy name. We pray today for those that mourn. We even think, Lord, of those in our church who mourn the passing of loved ones. We know that some have experienced in recent times the anniversary, the first anniversary, the second anniversary of dear loved ones who are taken home to heaven. And Lord, our thoughts and prayers are with them and we leave them with thee and pray for the comforting, strengthening grace of God. Do you remember the Scott family too? Lord, we ask for prayer for them. And we think today of the funeral service for Fred Scott and we thank you for every remembrance of thy servant and we just pray you'll bless the family as they meet this afternoon in Lisburn. And Lord, do remember as well William McGee and the passing of his dear wife. Thank you for being able to go to the funeral past on Monday. And do remember, Lord, that whole McGee family circle, every one of them. We thank you for the word of God preached in the gospel. And we just, Lord, ask that again souls will be comforted and strengthened by thyself. Now, Lord, just bless us. Bless us here as a church family and fellowship. Bless our entire denomination at home and abroad. Visit the free church in these days with revival. Give us a true spirit of repentance. And Lord, as we wait upon thee this day, open our ears to hear the word of God. Come and speak to us now. Let thy word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, even for thy glory. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now my text this morning is taken from Acts chapter 13 verse 2 and my theme today is to consider the great missionary principles that govern every true church of God. Now during this month of May 2017 has been an interesting month as far as the missionary work of our church has been concerned. At the start of the month we had a visit from Robert McConnell one of our home missionaries, stroke evangelists, working with the children. He told us that he visits some 50 schools, taking assemblies and RE classes. He has five days children's clubs and children's missions and summer camps. And he's doing a great work for God. Please remember Robert McConnell in your prayers under our mission board. And then on Wednesday night, we had a deputation meeting here with our sister Joy Gillespie. Uh, Joy is certainly a, a godly young woman who, who's an example to many. Uh, and um, she's leaving the land of Spain where she's been ministering for many, many years. And she's going at the call of God to the land of Nepal. And she's going to help to run the uh, orphanage there. She's also going to start an English academy. And do pray for Joy. And ask the Lord to help her as she learns a new language, the Nepalese language. She's got a hundred parts to the alphabet. Um, help her uh, to pray for her as she adapts to the culture and the food and be kept safe on the road. And pray for grace and wisdom as she assists the Reverend Paul Thapa and his wife in the orphanage. And now tonight, 
We also will have a visit from Mr. Andrew Foster, who's also going at the call of God to the land of Uganda to help to run the Emmanuel Christian School there. And of course, that's under our Free Presbyterian Mission Board, Africa. Do plan to attend. Now, all three individuals, if they were here this morning, they believe that they are going to the work of God, that they're involved in the work of God, primarily because of the call of God in their life. And the visitation of these missionaries got me thinking, what are the great missionary principles that govern every true church? Where do those missionary principles come from? What are they? And should we follow them? You see, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 13, that I've read in your hearing, you have the principles of the missionary work of the church clearly set forth. And this portion records the first missionary trip of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to think of three persons, three men, and they're in a boat. Three real men of flesh and blood. Three real missionaries. And they leave the seaport of Antioch. They sail down the river there. And they're going towards the Mediterranean. And their destination finally is the little island of Cyprus. A lovely place in the middle of the Mediterranean. And if you look with me at verse 4. We're told they departed unto Seleucia. And Seleucia of course is in Asia Minor. Uh, and uh, from there they sailed to the north of Cyprus because they landed at a place called Salamis. Uh, and there they, they preached the word of God. Do you know that's a trip of about a thousand miles? Probably a merchant ship laden with cargo. They had to travel in whatever direction the ship was going. Think of it. The, the hope of Cyprus, hearing the gospel, and the region beyond hearing the gospel centered on a merchant ship and three men on that ship, the freedom, of course, of those men to go, and the call of God with a message from God. I'm just thinking to myself that Cyprus is a very interesting place to begin a missionary journey. And I, I preached a sermon some five years ago how the gospel came to Cyprus when Rosie and I was there celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. Cyprus is 150 miles wide, uh, 50 miles from north to south, a population of about three quarters of a million people. It's divided in two. The Turks to the north, the Greeks to the south, and there's a UN peacekeeping force in between. It's a divided island. And these three men were going to Cyprus to preach the gospel there. These three men uh, were in the will of God. They, they, they were being sent out by the church at Antioch. And of course, the church at Antioch is an amazing church. Humble beginnings, grew rapidly, uh, and... Um, under God, they invited Paul to preach the word of God to them. They were a missionary-minded church. And it was from there, that missionary-minded church in Antioch, that Paul and Barnabas, at the call of God, were sent forth. And then they were accompanied by uh, Barnabas's nephew, John Mark. And I want you to think of the three of them leaving for Cyprus. And this is what I asked myself. 
What is the biblical basis for every kind of missionary endeavor? Whether it's Robert McConnell and the Home Mission, Joy Gillespie in Nepal, or our brother Andrew Foster going out to Uganda, or our other missionaries. What are the biblical bases for every kind of missionary endeavor? Whether it's home or foreign missionary work. How did they do it in the first century? What principles govern the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the great pioneer missionaries of all time. And that's what I want us to think about for the next 20 minutes or 25 minutes or so. I want you to think, first of all, of the plan for missionary work. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Holy Ghost saith, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The first missionary journey, taking the gospel to the island of Cyprus, was not Paul's idea. It was not Barnabas's plan. It was not a proposal by John Mark. I've heard it's a great holiday place. There's lovely beaches there. There's great food there. The sun shines every day. You see, these three men didn't pick a map and close their eyes and drop a pin into the map and say, there's where we'll go or there's where we'll start the next church or there's where we'll do a work for God. The Bible tells us, no, as they ministered to the Lord, we'll come back to that, and fasted, we'll come back to that, the Holy Ghost said. You see, it was not the program or the plan of these three men. It was God's plan. And I believe, of course, that God has a plan for every people and every place. A sovereign plan. A plan foreordained from all eternity. A plan that's tied into God's wise and good counsel. Remember what his sister Joy told us on Wednesday night? Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. And then in verse 32 of the same psalm it says, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. I want you to think of Philip the Evangelist. Acts chapter 8, big revival in Samaria. You can read about it there in Acts chapter 8, verses 5, right through to verse 8. And the revival has broken out. Thousands are getting saved. Thousands are being changed and transformed by the gospel. Now this very same man, according to Acts 8 verse 26, he was told by God, arise and go toward the south. Uh, leave Samaria and go to Gaza. And as he arose and went, you see, here was God's plan. God had one man there in that region called the Ethiopian eunuch, whom God was going to save, one precious soul to rape. And you see, the great work of all missionary endeavor is rooted and tied into God's sovereign will, not man's will, not man's plan or program. It's rooted in the will of God. It is his church he is building. It is his only begotten son that died and rose again from the dead. It is his gospel. It's the gospel of God that's the power of God unto salvation. Think of Paul at Corinth, facing much hardship, great opposition, feeling that he wants to quit. 
feeling that nothing's going to happen in this city. And God stepped in. And God had a word. And God had a plan. Look at Acts chapter 18. And you can read it there in verses 9 through to 11. This is what God said. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid. You see, he was afraid. But speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. You see, what sustains a minister in the work of God? What sustains the missionary in the home or the foreign field? What sustains the, the children's evangelist in the work of God? Well, what keeps them going? And here's the answer. The call of God. Now, now think of this. Saul of Tarsus, better known as Paul the Apostle. Where is Tarsus? There's no record of a church there. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Why? Is the answer not the good pleasure of God to plant one? See, God says to this individual or that individual, go to this place or that place. And of course, there's some today who, as an individual, decide, well, I'm going to go to this locality and I, I, I'm going to start a church this year. And in 10 years, we'll have 10 churches and we'll get 500 souls converted. And then I have to ask the question, well, is that the plan of God? Is that the good pleasure of the Lord? Is that tied into the heart and mind of God? What is the will of God? Think of a, a vision and a plan to grow our own church. We, we would love to see 50 or 100 New people coming into the church. We would love to see 10 or 20 new families coming in. I look forward to the day when, when there'll be 20 babies in the church. Screaming the place down. And we'd be sort of saying, oh it's very noisy in here. We can't hear our ears. Is that going to happen? Well I have to be honest, I don't know. Because it's not my plan. It's God's plan. It has to be subject to the will of God. As the Apostle Paul could say there in Ephesians chapter 3, a tremendous statement in the verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. What kind of church does God want us to be? He certainly wants us to be a biblical-based church. A missionary-minded church, a Christ-centered church, an evangelistic church, a church that has a passion for the lost, a church that has a love for all. And we get asked the question this morning, well, well what are we goals? H have we got any? H have we got a mission statement? Why do we exist? Why are we here? And you know what the answer is? Our existence is rooted in the will of God. It's God's plan. And in the midst of the outworking of that, we're not going to cease to be a Bible-believing church or one that centers in Christ or one that's missionary-minded or one that's evangelistic. We're not going to change our doctrine or our stand or our message or our style of worship. We're not going to change our Bible version or throw out our hymn book for any man-made agenda. No, we're going to have an eye to God's plan. 
And the first principle in missionary work the world over is the plan of God for missionary work. Notice secondly and quickly, think of the proclamation of missionary work. If you go back to Acts 13 and the verse 5, it says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now think of Paul. Think of this ship bound for Cyprus. Maybe he could ask himself, well, why am I going there? Yes, I know I'm going in the will of God, but what am I going to do in Cyprus? I'm a tent maker. Maybe he was thinking, I'll make a few tents for the beach and make a few pound whenever I'm there. What was his focus? Do you know the answer to that there is tied into what we have said, preach the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Also think of Romans chapter 15 and in the verse 20. This is what he said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. You see, that needs to be emphasized today. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus to preach the word of God. We live in a multicultural age, an age of pluralism, and we're told that we need to be tolerant, and we're, we're, we're told that uh, we, we need to be accommodating to other people. Um, you think of this statement from a guy called Francis of Assisi. Go out and preach the gospel, and if you have to use, use words. I don't agree with that. You can't preach the gospel without words. The gospel must be preached. It must be presented. You see, in the mission field, Quality of life of many, for it's Nepal, Uganda, other parts of Africa, totally different. Think of those that live in poor houses with corrugated roofs, mud walls, maybe have got bad water. Many of them are sick. Many of them at times are hungry. And great humanitarian movements have sprung up to help relieve the quality of life of these individuals. And rightly so. I'm not bemoaning that. But the important focus of every missionary called of God has to be in the gospel. Because looking after one's body or one's welfare is one thing, but what about looking after what's important? The most important is the sin question dealt with and the soul that's in the inside. And the true missionary goes with this message that Christ is the answer, the only answer to deal with the sin question and to save the soul. See, they need the gospel. They have got souls. The missionary must live with eternity in view. Not just a focus on food supply and clean water and providing a hospital and childcare and schools. The, the, the key element in the missionary's work has to be the gospel. To, to come to them and say, I've got a message from God for you, from the living and the true God. I have God's remedy for human sinfulness. That remedy centers in the personal work of Christ. That, that message from God summons you to repent, be sorry enough to quit, and believe the gospel. God summons you to live a life of holiness, and obedience and love. Persevere in that. The gospel calls men to be saved from a Christless hell. And the gospel assures men of 
the promise of heaven and home at the end of the Christian life. These Gentiles in Cyprus, they were to hear the gospel. They were to receive the word of God. And that's the proclamation of the mystery's work. And we should never lose sight of that. Thirdly, very quickly, think of the partnership of missionary work. Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Verse 5, and they had also John to the minister. Three individuals named. Three individuals on the ship, all sailing for Cyprus. Barnabas, of course, was a native of Cyprus. You see, God has men for his work. Men that God had designated. And these men were a team. Barnabas, as I've said, a native of Cyprus. Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles. And John Mark, he accompanied them. Now, I have to stress, and he did say this, I don't actually believe that John Mark had a call from God at the start. And that's why he left them and went home to Mummy when they set sail from Paphos to Perga. It got too difficult. It was too hard. And he couldn't stay. Why? Because he hadn't an actual call from God. But these three missionaries at the start, they helped each other in the work. And every missionary needs a support team. They need people to pray for them, people to support them, people to publicize their work, people to give as generously as God uh, enables them to give. You see, God sends men. And the whole work, the whole church in Antioch was involved in that. Doesn't the Bible tell us to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field? And we we should be praying that the Lord will raise up and send forth men. We should be praying that the Lord raises up and sends forth workers for the work. We need men for the church. Our denomination needs men, men called of God. It needs pastors, it needs preachers, it needs more missionaries, it needs more child evangelists. The church needs men. This church needs men. Will you pray that God will send us men as well as godly women? You know, some time ago I came across this advert. This is what it said. It was in a newspaper. Interested in Christian work? Got certain skills? Got a standard education? You've got free time? Then we can slot you in. Now that may be okay for the business world. It may be okay for the corporate world. But not okay for the Lord's work. Because the Lord of the harvest, it's his harvest field. And it's his mind and will that counts. And we're told in Luke 10 and 2 as well as Uh, Matthew 9 and verse 38, were to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Laborers who would work as a team. Because think of the word team. Together everyone achieves more. Men whom God saves. Men that God sanctifies and separates. Men whom God sends forth. Men whom God supplies with certain gifts and talents. There's a partnership for missionary work. The whole church in Antioch was involved in sending these men out. They worked as a team. Think fourthly and quickly, prayer for the missionary work. The the Apostle Paul could say, and I've already quoted in um, Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 20, he says, 
Yea, so if I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build another man's foundation. And, and then he, he um, urges us to, to pray for him. And uh, he, he says, Now I beseech your brethren for the Lord Jesus' sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The word strive means to, to struggle, to, to agonize. He's asking for prayer. And our missionaries, whether it's Robert McConnell or Sister Joy Gillespie or Andrew Foster or other missionaries, they need the prayers of God's people. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in Acts chapter 13 it says, And when they had fasted and prayed, that the whole church come together for a prayer meeting, that there was fasting, abstinence of food. You know, it's a sin not to pray. If you say to your missionary, I'll pray for you, then you must do it. You must take the time. You must make the effort. You've got to be real. You can't just say words. You ought to pray for your own church here. You ought to pray for yourself. You ought to pray for your family. You ought to pray for the work of the evangelist. You ought to pray for the success of the gospel. Here's the church at prayer. And at the heart of it, they're ministering unto the Lord. They're praying, they're fasting, and then there's a sending forth service. I believe, and I'm going to say this, our denomination's in danger of losing its heart and mind and passion for prayer. I'm talking about real prayer. Prayer from the heart. I think back to prayer meetings 10, 20, 30 years ago, and there was real passion in those prayer meetings. It wasn't just words. It was from the heart. And we have three prayer meetings here. 11 a.m., thereabouts, 6.30, 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. And we'd encourage you, if possible, be at all three. Come to pray. Because God works through prayer. And there's a prayer needed for the missionary work today and for the work of God in general that's missing. Don't be a missing link in the prayer meeting. Remember, it's a sin not to pray. Also think of the um, pursuit of missionary work. These three men overcome all barriers that hindered them going to the mission field. There was the distance, a thousand miles, Antioch to Seleucia, and then to the northern part of Cyprus to uh, Salamis. Then there was the dollar, they had to pay a fare in this merchant ship. There, there was a cost involved. And then there was the difficulty in the journey. Maybe a, a, a sea journey could have made them sick. And the land journey, a, a difficult terrain, certainly when they went to Perga. And they overcame it all. Why? They were in the will of God. See, God knew what he was doing. He, he called Barnabas. He was a native of Cyprus. Acts 4.36. He knew the culture, the climate. He knew about the cuisine. He was the main man, really, on the first missionary trip. The Barnabas factor. He would have had the contacts. And when they come to the north, they moved then from Salamis down to Paphos. And when they come to Paphos, then they, they faced the difficulty of the devil. There was opposition. There was a false prophet, a false sorcerer there by the name of Elamas the sorcerer. And he was with the deputy, Sergius Paulius. You see, here's the point. Any team, any man going forth to do a work for God, 
He's going to face difficulty. There's going to be hindrances that, that will stop him trying to do the work of God. And one of those hindrances, of course, will be the opposition of the devil. And he will discover, I've got to overcome these obstacles. I've got to overcome the barrier. They're in the will of God. And they meet with the problem of distance, the dollar, the difficulty of terrain, and the devil. And of course, in the will of God, in the work of God, we will meet the opposition and the resistance of the devil. Anything can hinder the work of God. We should expect the blessing of God in the work, but also expect the blasting. Expect the bleeding. There are things that often arise that grieve and vex and quench the Spirit of God. And you know what I pray, and I want you to pray for me. Don't let me be the cause of that, Lord. Don't let me be amongst those that grieve and vex and quench the Spirit of God. Don't let me be the obstacle. Don't let me be the hindrance or the barrier for, for the, the, the progress of the work of God. Think of the power for the missionary work. It was the power of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that tremendous? So they have been sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us in verse 9, Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes and Elamas the sorcerer. The Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. <coughs> The power for doing this work, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, not in our own wisdom. And, and God worked in Cyprus. The first convert was Sergius Paulus, the deputy of the company, one of the key men, a, a man of power in the island. And it was through the instrumentality and work of the Spirit. And we need to pray. Pray for each other, pray for ourselves, pray for the work of God, pray for me. The Bible tells us, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I was at a funeral on Monday and a man took me to the one side and he said, Pastor, preacher, do you know what your greatest need is? You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I accepted that challenge. Some might think, well, how dare he say that? But I didn't mind it. I, I took it as a, as, a, as a counsel and a word from God because that's the greatest need that I have. And that's the greatest need for our church. The power for doing the work of God is the power of the Holy Ghost. And think of the pattern for missionary work, the seventh thing. If you look at our text, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. We'll pause there. You see, the missionary work of the church in reality is tied in exclusively to the worship of God, to the praise of God. The context for this missionary plan taking place was as they ministered to the Lord. They were busy in worship. They were fixated on the Lord. They, they, they were centered in him. The whole church at worship, drawing near to him, singing his praise, having prayer meetings, having a heart for him. Being in a right relationship with him. Being real for him. Realizing that all the resources come from him. And they discover as they worship, this God has a heart for missionary work. This God is a missionary God. And this God, God the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And we need to put the Lord first. 
Think of the point in the pencil. Without the point, it's useless. What's our point of existence? Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. The Lord first, centered on him, fixated in him, taken up with him, having a heart with him, saying, I I I love you, Lord. Lord, help me to be loyal to you. Lord, help me to live for you. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, I'm available. Think of Isaiah. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Lord, if you can use me, then use me for your glory. See, that's the pattern for missionary work. Do we know anything of this plan? Have we realized the preaching? Do we realize there's a partnership involved? Have we offered the prayer? Do we realize the pursuit? There's barriers and obstacles to overcome. The power, have we got the power? And are we living by the pattern? Ministering unto the Lord. Worshipping him. Taking up with him. May the Lord help us to realize these seven principles for missionary work. And may the Lord help us as a church. And as a denomination to go forward together.